Welcome to the B-List, where we talk about everything we love to hate and everything that we hate to love. I'm Tara. I'm Courtney. And today, <laughs> what are we talking about today? <laughs> today, we are discussing disappearances. Disappearances. Which I, drive me insane and keep me up at night. And yeah. <laughs> oh, I, they, it, it, it amazes me how these people can just like disappear without a trace. And these are people, the ones that I had picked today are people that were never found. Um, I think, yeah, one of mine, two of mine were never found. Two of them the were three, never found? Yeah. It's just, it amazes me, especially, like, when it's a current thing, where, like, there's cameras everywhere, and GPS, and phones, and yeah. technology, and people can just disappear. Disappear. Like, how, like, olden days, I'm sure you could just do it, like... Right. A couple yeah, of mine. See? Like, you're just out of there. A couple of mine are from the olden days, but I've got one that's a little... But, like, with no trace? But no, no like, trace. Yeah. No, nothing. It's and every once in a while you'll read about someone who like they disappeared on purpose and then uh -huh. just, they come back and they're like, hey, like yeah, like I don't know. Yeah. But yeah, today. So is... we're gonna talk about our disappearances today. Do you want to kick us off or should I get going? Um, I'll get us started. Alrighty. Okay, this one is one that's near and dear to my heart. I've been obsessed with this since I saw the episode of Disappeared like a billion years ago mm -hmm. about this kid, Bryce Las Pisa. Do you know this one? Um, that was the, that was in California, wasn't the it? The ginger kid. Okay, yeah, I kind of remember that you know, one. He was like real tall, ginger, has nice smile, blue eyes, like, mm. and that's the thing. Like, you would know him if you saw him somewhere. Yeah, he's got hair like brighter than like it is red. Mm -hmm. Um, this is August twenty eighth, two thousand thirteen. So not that long ago. No. And he was nineteen years old. He was living the college life in Northern California. Um, he'd only been back at college for two weeks. It was like his the second year of college. Mm -hmm. He'd only been back for a couple weeks. He'd just mm -hmm. been the summer at home. Um, as far as everyone knew, everything's cool. Um, uh, his parents got some troubling phone calls from his roommate that was like, he's acting kind of strange. Mm -hmm. Like, and I was thinking, like I was listening to a podcast about it and it's gotta be, it's gotta be bad for someone to call your parents. You know, when you're like 19. Yeah. You gotta be acting real weird. Yeah. Your parents do. Like he'd been staying up, all night and abusing Vivance. Oh yeah. And apparently he was drinking drinking like a lot. Like, yeah. Straight, but that's not normal. That's straight not straight liquor though. Well, that's not uncommon though for college kids. Whenever they're they don't know their limits yet or anything right, like that. Right, but yeah. still, it sounds um, like he's getting in pretty deep. And yeah, his girlfriend had called and been like, you know, he's he's acting kind of strange. And his mom talked to him and he's like, I have something that I need to tell you. I'll tell you when I see you. Mm -hmm. And so that just like haunts them because like, what was it that he had to say? You know, um, there's so many rabbit holes you can jump down. But um, he decided that he was going to drive home. And um, the next morning around 9 a.m., they get a call from their insurance company. The parents do saying that Bryce's car needed roadside assistance. Mm -hmm. And because it had run out of gas near Button Willow, which is 200 miles outside their house uh, or where they live in mm -hmm. Laguna Niguel. And so they call and he's like, yeah, I need gas. It's, you know, mm -hmm. everything's fine. So it's 9 a.m. Okay. Mm -hmm. Fast forward 13 hours. And he's only 200 miles away at that point, right? Yes. Okay. Fast so. forward 13 hours. They're getting nervous because it's only an eight hour drive from his school to right. house. They get Christian, the patron saint of roadside assistance, Christian Tire and Truck. This guy, he's never, I've never seen him being interviewed anywhere, but he's the guy who brought him gas. Like, roadside assistance called this guy at Christian Tire and Trucks and brought gas. Yeah. So they're like, this is the only, this is the only way we can find our son. I don't know. There's something creepy about it. I don't know what's happening with these parents. I would get in my car yeah. and go, I'm picking your ass up on yeah. the side of the road. No kidding. And he goes out there, and he's still there in the exact same location. Okay, he never let he never started his car and tried to go. Thirteen hours later, he's in the same spot. But he's alive. He's alive. He's fine. Okay. And Christian's like, you need to talk to your mom. And uh -huh. you know the police come out there, and they're like, what's happening? He's like, oh, I'm just blowing off steam. For thirteen hours. And the police are like, oh, you know, they do field sobriety. He's seen. He's sober. Uh huh. He's not drunk. 
breathalyzer, everything is normal. Uh-huh. And so they're like, you need to talk to your mother. And he's like, can you talk to her for me? Like, he does not want to talk to his parents. Okay. Finally, they make him, like, you need to talk to your parents. Well, yeah. And he's like, yeah, I'm on my way. I'm just, I'm fine. And his parents are like, what are you doing? And I'm like, I'm just blown off steam. Just, uh-huh. I would be like, get would your ass police, home. Right I would now. tell the police officers, put him in custody, keep him. I'm keep him, yeah. Him. Christian, take him to your house. And so, um, Christian helped him get onto the highway. So he's like helping him get onto the highway, following him or whatever, follows him for a few miles. And then Christian turns and goes home and they keep getting, they keep texting him. Where are you? Are you getting close? Like Uh talking to him on the phone. And they last heard from him around 2 AM the following morning. Cause it's already been. And he said he was too tired to drive and that he was going to sleep on the side of the road. At that point, he's probably what, like 50, 80 miles from home. Yeah. Just, just do it. You're only, what, an hour or two? And again, if you're too tired, park your ass right there. I'm coming to get you. Yeah, I'll be there in a minute. I'll be it's there as soon as I can. It's just crazy because um, one of the podcasts I listen to, um, Sinisterhood, Sinisterhood, they're from, uh, they're here from Texas. Uh-huh. And they're like, it would be the same, like the drive to Buttonwell, it would be the same from like here to Austin. It's like three hours. Okay, yeah, yeah. We, get, we go down there not, all the time. Why would you not get in your car and go get your child? No kidding. And if I were the child, my parents for sure would be like, sit there. I'm coming to get you. Yeah. I don't know what's going on with all of you, but I'm coming to get you right yeah. now. Yeah. And so the next morning around 8 a.m., uh, authorities come to the door. They think that it's Bryce. Someone knocks on the door. They think it's Bryce. I don't know why they thought their kid would knock on the door. But right. they go answer the door, and it's the police. And they say that they have found Bryce's car in Casaic Lake crashed. Okay. Like, off a cliff, mm-hmm. crashed. And they had surveillance cameras at the lake, like, oh, towards the entrance or something, and they can see him. He's, like, circling. He's, like, circling the area. Okay. And so what they think's happened, they don't know if he did it on purpose or accidentally or if he was trying to end his life or what happened, but apparently where you're driving at this space, like, it looks like a cliff, and uh-huh. you're going to, like, go off some cliff, but it's not that steep of a cliff. Okay. So he, like, then there was no sign of, like, brakes where he had tried to brake. He just accelerated uh-huh he didn't land on the lake he landed uh-huh. on the ground and the car was all smashed up there was very little blood and he was gone his stuff was there his bag was there his wallet everything's there and he was gone okay and they found i think they got like some um police puppers to come and like sniff around and see what they could find and they followed it to a truck stop and then nothing so that's so weird and no one has seen him again did he did he i mean obviously he might have been suicidal might have been well we it don't came know. out that like the rumor is that he was really abusing obviously vivance and alcohol and that he and his parents did not get along if you see interview any interviews of those pieces uh-huh. they're like he could have come to us with any news we were fine everything was perfect but uh-huh. you know everyone puts that facade out that like families are perfect well yeah 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 and apparently he had had some issues with, like, drug abuse in the past. And so, like, I don't know if that's what he was going to tell his mom or... Yeah, that he's got... Maybe that he's he in trouble drop again. Out of school. Like, maybe... I don't know what they thought. But, like, he just disappeared. That's and so nothing. weird. I mean, did he go to start a new life? Or... And they're thinking, like, did he hit his head? And, like, he doesn't remember who he is. But, that's, like, with that face insane. and that red hair, someone would know where he... Someone would know him. You would think... That's such a strange case. I remember reading about that case before. I'm just but... like upset. What is happening? What did? Where did you? Where go? are you? If you're there, but maybe like they've maybe the police have found him and they are under no obligation. If you're over 18, they don't have to tell anybody. Where right. You are. Right. But I think they should have to tell the parents. We found him. He we doesn't found want to be him. Found. Yeah. He doesn't want to talk to you. Yeah. But why wouldn't he tell the cops that too? Is like I I just don't need. I'm trying not to talk to them right now. Or I don't know. It's really weird. That is strange, and especially because like my son's almost nineteen. Yeah, he's that same age. Cameron, never run away. I'm putting it on the podcast. <laughs> don't Come run home away. We'll yell about it. We'll be fine. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Well, the one that I was going to talk about first too. This is a Texas girl, and I remember this happening because I was. Um, I was about 12 or 13 at the time, and this girl, her name was Kelly Day Wilson, and I've listened to her uh, story a couple of times on a couple of podcasts. I think that there's a couple of uh, little short documentary, you know, episodes about it, but I remember this happening in real time back in the day. Uh, She's been missing since January 5th, 
1992 and she was only 17 years old so that's why it kind of stuck out in my head because she was not that much older than me you know yeah. she she um and teenagers don't know how to disappear themselves on purpose right or, like they don't know how to do that absolutely you know yeah and she like i said she was 17 years old she's from gilmer texas which is uh it's a town of less than like five thousand people so it it's not a, like a small town it's yeah it's not that big of a town and she worked at a northeast texas video i think that's what the the store was called was northeast texas oh, video an og blockbuster yeah yeah i mean like blazing video was for me and movies unlimited in movies town, unlimited yeah. in your town um, she worked her shift the night of January 5th mm -hmm. um, with her boss, Joe Henry, until 8.30 when they closed. Um, they both closed up shop at the same time, and Joe went to his car, she went to her car, they visited for a minute, you know, before they went their separate ways, mm -hmm. and it was her turn to take the deposit to the bank. You know how that is, especially at, yep. when, we been there. At, when we worked at the last salon we worked at together we'd all take turns going to just drop Maybe it in the thing. Yeah. And I always thought if somebody was waiting for me here at the deposit, you know, what would I do? I always thought that going around the corner well, to yeah, the deposit box. creatures of and... habit and you're constantly, you're doing the same thing every mm -hmm. time, mm -hmm. you know? So she goes, um, she goes off to drop off the um, deposit and the bank surveillance footage shows her her, her, her 85 Dodge Charger go through the drive-thru, make the deposit, and that was the last anybody had seen. So they couldn't positively ID her because they couldn't see her in the car. They but just saw her, her car. car. And the and deposit I, was made. And the deposit was made. So it's very unlikely that somebody would nab her you and, and then you. go take the deposit. Oh, you got to take the deposit Oh, first? yeah. Well, oh, we don't okay. want you to get in trouble. So I don't want you to go to jail for $500 worth of video. Right, rentals. right. So they couldn't get a positive ID and it was definitely her car. And then when she didn't come home, like at 5 a.m. Yeah. She got off work at 8.30 p.m. She didn't come back home. So they thought maybe she went out with friends and didn't tell us or forgot to tell us. But whenever it came around 5 a.m. Now, this is before cell phones. Like I said, it was 1992. He goes up to the video store and finds her car still at the video store. After her boss said, no, she went off to the bank. We have video of her at the bank. So he found her car there and it was unlocked and the left rear tire was slashed. But her purse and all of her belongings were inside, but the keys were missing. So Joe Henry, her boss, was the last person to see her alive. So obviously he's the first person And so of he's the first person of interest. He said that they closed. They walked out to their car together. They said goodbye. They left. He had a solid alibi afterwards. And he passed a lie detector test. Now I know that lie detector tests are, you know. Trash. But trash. Yeah. But he was never named a suspect because of this. So uh, there was a boy that was caught in the area named Michael Bybee or Michael Bibby. Something like that. That is hilarious because my sister and I grew up with a kid named Michael Bybee. Well, <laughs> That my was it spelled that way? B I B Y. Wait, looks what? like baby with an I. No, it's not that. Oh, okay. So maybe that's not how you say his name. No. But he was another seventeen-year-old. That was a classmate of hers. Okay, no, in ninety-two, I think Michael Bybee was like five. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, so he was a classmate of Kelly's, and he had been caught in the area slashing tires. So of course he's Sir, he's the next one that again, they question. Get a hobby. <laughs> get a hobby. Well, it is. Slashing tires. That's not a good hobby. Um, but they didn't really have any evidence against him except for the fact that he was caught slashing other tires. So he was kind of cut out of the suspect line. Could you imagine really. even being the one who, like, slashes her tires, but, like... Uh-huh. They don't even know if it was slashed by the kidnapper. Yeah. Or not. They just... Like, this some dumb kid just sees a car and slashes the tires and doesn't realize, like, oh, no, this is a crime scene. And right. You, you now you're a part of it. Now you're a part of it. <laughs> Um, that's what you get for slashing well, tires. What they, what they think that might have happened is that her tire was already slashed. She went to the bank because the bank apparently was just around the corner. Get she went to the tire. bank. She was like, oh, my tire's low. I'm going to go back to work and park because I'm supposedly safe. I know. Yeah, the area. you can like unlock, go in, call somebody. Right, you, right. Yeah. And so. I mean, I would do the same thing. Yeah, that's what they thought had happened. <sighs> but, um, so, uh, Michael Bailey was never charged. Uh, Christopher Denton, though, it was Kelly's on and off boyfriend, you know, sometimes Got my eyes on you on and off boyfriend. Right, right. Apparently they had an argument the night before her disappearance. That's not to have an argument. I know. He was known for having a temper. Mm -hmm. 
and he didn't have an alibi for that night. They couldn't prove his alibi. He didn't pass the lie detector test, but Sir. again, lie detector tests aren't always right. admissible. It's just a measure of stress. It's not necessarily a measure of, of telling the truth. Yeah, it's not, you know, it's not that whatever you call scientific. it. Scientific or whatever. But anyway, so before investigators could search his vehicle, he, dream, he drives to Louisiana and sells it. And he sells it to a place that takes old cars and, and ships them, them they ship them to Mexico. So it gets shipped off to Mexico. But investigators find it's a it. a bad look. I know. Investigators find it. And they discovered that the floor mats were missing. Um, and there were strands of hair found in his car, but they were dating on and off. So... They knew that she had been in the car, but they yeah. didn't see any signs of violence. And those strands of hair, they can't say, oh, this was from, you know, January 5th. It could have been in right. there for a year. Can't, like carbon date them. Yeah, you can't, you can't really track hair like that. So he was never, he was never charged with it because um, they didn't find signs of violence. And he died of cancer back in 2004 and maintained that he was innocent till the day he, he died. All right, I still have my eye on him. But yeah, yeah, he's another one that I think, I think that they had something to do with it because there was another suspect, which was his, Chris's cousin, Brian Ward. And Brian Ward told detectives that he worked on the day of Kelly's disappearance and afterwards he spent the night cruising town with Chris, his cousin, her boyfriend. So they could have been on it together. So yeah, he spent the night cruising town with Chris in his pickup truck Aww. and investigators found that whenever he went to his employer's place he, the, his time card records prove that brian ward did not work that day and his supervisor said he came to work and asked her to lie about an alibi because he and chris had quote messed with kelly 15 minutes before closing nope so that's they a bad can, mm -mm. right so that no. i think that they were in this together chris no sir but despite his super very his supervisor's testimony her boss said i don't remember them coming by the store was empty when we closed so what i think could have happened is like you know her tire was slit because jackass magoo came by accidentally slit her tire that was messed with kelly like went to go drop off the deposit came back to work maybe they saw her there and thought she was closing mm -hmm. and went in to mess with her maybe we don't that's i couldn't find this more is why detail. i cannot stress this enough we need surveillance cameras everywhere everywhere floodlights everywhere everywhere witnesses everywhere i know no one leave anyone alone ever ever oh and it would you remember whenever we had to work when we were shorthanded at smart looks and we'd have to work by ourselves in that building you were there towards the sinking of that titanic when you had to be there all day long by yourself oh like that's that's awful i knew i had to be there so creepy i had already left at that point but good grief i remember being there all pretty like it's half the day when everybody to had to go pick one up one employee yeah. there yeah especially as many times as we had gotten broken into On also a busy street like uh-huh uh-huh no that's so um investigators um well they they gave brian ward a polygraph test mm -hmm. and he failed it and he was also charged with perjury for lying about his whereabouts on that night because he wasn't at work right. he had no proof that he was at work right but he could but they never charged him because they couldn't find any proof that he had done anything so he was never charged and so like i said the best they could come up with was she had a flat tire and went back to work and something happened there because there were no surveillance, nothing. And in 2017, the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children released an age progression photo that I'll put up in the video because she'd be around 47, 48 years old now. I mean, just a few years oh, older goodness. than us. But the case went cold 30 years ago. There has been nothing since then. And I, I thought that I remember a few years back they had found some missing girls remains i think down in houston or around the area and i thought oh i think that was that girl but no it wasn't it wasn't her it was a different cold case that was that old but yeah the usually, poor girls, what do they say like the simplest explanation is usually what happened so mm -hmm. i think those boys did something i think the boys her. did something and there might not and have you been know violence. how like pumped up teenage boys get when they're together yeah make the stupidest decisions not just boys teenagers in general they probably went to go scare her and it got out of hand got out of and hand. it may not have gotten violent in the car that they were in but i think that they i well if it wasn't missing, his 
they checked his car. Did they check the other guy's car? I don't because... think that they checked the other guy's car. It didn't say that they checked the other guy's car. And her keys weren't in the car because she probably used them to go in and call to tell someone that she had a flat tire. Right. But nobody found the keys. No one found the keys because no one... she had them on her. That probably. She probably had them on her. And she didn't I, take her wallet or anything in there because she was just going in to make a phone call, you know? Or and, they could have stopped by and said, hey, do you need a ride? Yes. Your car's down. She's like, yeah, I need a ride. She gets in the car without any struggle, right. without any violence. Right. She ends up missing somewhere. And, yeah. and they have no proof of where they took her. I'll trust. I'll trust this. So. I'll trust that. I don't trust it either. Come on, Poor girl. Okay. My next one is in Quincy, Massachusetts. Uh, William Hurley. Uh, Quincy, Mass is a suburb of Boston. Um, this kid was living there with his girlfriend, Claire. He was like early 20s, I want to say. I didn't write down his age. Um, October 8th, 2009. So again, not that long ago. Um, he went to his first sports ball game. Hockey, I think. I'm like, <laughs> I don't know, sports. Um, with some friends. And after the first period, there you go, hockey. hockey. After the first period, he was tired. and He said he was tired and wanted to leave suddenly. Mm-hmm. And they're like, okay. But they're dudes, and so they're like, bye. Like, yeah. Women would be like, okay, well, let's get home. Like, yeah. You, know, you leave. Always stay with your friends. Always stay with your friends. Um, so he called his girlfriend Claire to come pick him up. And so this is like a busy area. Mm-hmm. It's a city. It's outside a stadium. Right. They just had a sport. Um. And uh, he couldn't tell her exactly where he uh, was. He's like, I don't know where I am. And we. She hears someone walking by mm-hmm. or in a car or something. Someone walking by say that they are on 99 Nashwood Street. And so he says, I'm on 99 Nashwood Street. Come mm-hmm. get me. And his phone was at 1%. And so she's like, that's fine. Like, she was around the corner. She says, okay, I'll see you in a minute. And so she goes around the corner and she doesn't see him anywhere. She drove around looking and looking and looking. He's gone. So mm-hmm. she goes home to think like, okay, well, I'm going to go home. Maybe he'll meet me there. Maybe he went back in with his friends. Mm-hmm. Like... You know, there's only so much you can do. Mm-hmm. Um, so she goes to the authorities and she explains that she was a minute away and couldn't find him anywhere. And authorities looked in the area. They found his cell phone smashed to pieces. Not oh, just like you dropped good. it. It was crushed. Yeah. Um, they said that the phone had been run over because it wasn't just broken. It was like destroyed. Uh-huh. Um and so there were texts to Claire, the girlfriend, complaining that some guy at the sports ball game was being annoying and agitating him. And so that's probably why he wanted to leave. There's someone mm-hmm. in, in the stadium with him, like, mm-hmm. sitting around them, being agitating. Mm-hmm. And so October 14th, so fast forward. So October 8th is when he went missing. October 14th, so the next week, um, his body was found in Charles River, 25 feet from shore. He still had money in his wallet. There was no signs of foul play. Um, authorities said his body had only been there for a couple days. So he okay. was somewhere else until then. Yeah. Somebody brought um, it to No physical injuries during the autopsy. They ruled it as a drowning. Um, but I assume they can tell when someone drowns, though, right? Like, you can see if there's water in their lungs. Yeah. They didn't say. Um, there's a theory that one of that his death is one of many from the smiley face killer. Because, you know, the smiley face killer uh-huh. was murdering, like, young college-age men near, yeah, I near bodies that. of water. Yeah. Like, I don't know. Um, they found a date rape drug in his system, though. Okay. I wonder and when they could have got that in him. The theory is that he was sitting with his friends at this sports balls game and the annoying guy next to him drugged him and then okay. gave the wrong address would there, so he could take him. Was there any sort of video or did they ever, they never showed him up in the stands or anything like that? No, I, don't, I guess I never looked. I don't know. I That's didn't hear anything about that. But yeah, but the theory is that whoever the annoying guy was in the... May this have been the one. To... May have been the one. Because that would have had to been the guy, unless his friends drugged him. I don't know why your friends would drug you at a hockey game. Right. But if he's, like, seeing someone that, like, oh, I want to nab that guy. Let me just be annoying and yeah, break something in your beer or whatever. Yeah. You know? like Get you to try to ignore me and then yeah. I... Yeah. That's nuts. Yes. That's really scary. Yes. But you can't even just be like, hey, I'm down the street and I'm coming to get you. Like, Preston calls and, like, hey, I'm down the road. Come yeah. pick me up. And then you get there and he's just gone. I mean, at what point would the drugs start to kick in and what happened that got him? Because he obviously wasn't... I think that shit works fast because guys do that to women in bars all the time. It, so yeah, like, it has to true. be quick acting. Because... So did they scoop him up and put him in a Maybe car Maybe that's why that he said he was tired and feeling weird and he wanted to go home. Yeah, that's probably why. Because that period, I don't know how long a period... How long is a period in hockey, you guys? Isn't it like 15 minutes or so? But, but then, you know, you've got your... You, 
a bunch of pauses. And a I mean, of... I've had an edible that kicked in in 15 minutes. So like, yeah, <laughs> yeah I've had a real true. strong drink that kicked in pretty mm. quick. So like, mm. but that's crazy that you can't even like, and you know, they make like different things you can put in your drinks and stuff like, mm-hmm. in, like little straws or sticks. Or they had even stuff. made a nail polish at one point. That you yes, stick it it'll, in it'll change. Yeah. It'll change color, but it's so sad. We have to have these things. I know. Can we just not drug and kill each other? I know. Can we just not... I'm so nervous to leave a drink in anywhere. Like whenever I'm out with my friends, I'm like, watch my drink. Just watch it. Or I, I got to me. the point, like on first dates and stuff like that. Like if you're going to order a drink, I would always make sure like if I need to pee, I need to do it now because like I'm not leaving my cup. So. Right. <laughs> like yeah. I'm sure you're a very nice dude, but like, let me go pee real quick and then I'll come back. That's how all those stories start out as, you know, oh, I met a guy and you know, yeah. he seemed, he seemed normal. He seemed normal. And then I woke Ted up. Bundy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Exactly. Um, my next one is actually a couple that disappeared, um, which is really weird. That's but strange. it happened in 1928, so there were no forensics. There was nothing at the time. This is um, just like rub dirt on a crime scene and hope for the best. And hope for the best. That's kind of how this <laughs> one was. Fingerprinted everything. Yeah. Covered it in dust. Um, yeah, I was going to talk about Glenn and Bessie Hyde, and they were newlyweds back okay. in 1928. They were the last time they were seen was on November 18th that year. They were newlyweds that decided that um, they were going to go on an adventure trip for their honeymoon. Okay. And they're going to go what they call river running, which is... I know this one. Yeah. I know this one. I just listened to something about this. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a crazy one. Um, they, they decide they're going to go river running through the Grand Canyon, which for those who don't know it, they're basically floating the river on yeah. this boat. Um, Glenn was a more experienced river runner, having spent time doing it a couple of years earlier, and he loved it. Bessie was not experienced, uh, but... Um, I would not want to do that for my honeymoon if I had not been and gone and done it before. You know, this is 1928, though. You know, you're coming... Like, you're, what else are you going to do? It's the Depression era. It's, you know, they don't probably have a whole lot of money, but they can do this, you know? Yeah. And it was supposed to be, like, a month-long trip, too. Like, a, it, it takes a while to go through there. But All Glenn, is a month peeing in the woods, being stung by mosquitoes. I know. That does not but a lot of people long. still didn't have indoor plumbing back in the 20s, so... So you're squatting in the woods anyway. So you're squatting in the woods anyway. <laughs> uh, Glenn had built his own boat, which is also you'd think is is the reason why they went missing. But it was a 20 foot flat bottom wooden boat called I think it, they call them a scow. I think okay. is the term for it. Flat bottom boat, pretty big. He was wanting to be the speed record for traveling down the Green and Colorado rivers. Um, and Bessie was up for an adventure trip, namely because she would be the first woman to do it. I can see that. So she's like, yeah. So she's like, let's do it. But here's the thing: they refused to take life jackets, even though they were warned by seasoned river runners who told them the boat wouldn't make the trip. Just bring the life jackets, right? Just bring them. Just bring them. Even if you don't want to wear it, have it because you don't. You don't know exactly. And then, of course, there's rapids. And what if a goddamn bear rocks. jumps out of the woods and jumps on your boat? You need, you need something to throw at them. A life jacket would distract. Them I would just grab it and jump. You know, you don't know. What if your yeah. boat catches on fire? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> In the water. In the water. That would be my luck. That's happened to me. <laughs> oh, a story that I can talk about though. While we're talking about boats, is one time I went out on uh, Cisco Lake, which is just west of here my uh grandpa and my dad me and my uncle and a cousin were all in this boat and it dies and then a tornado comes through and the tornado went across the lake and we're in the middle of this boat just hanging on this is why we're friends because when i was a kid i was like i don't know 10 or 12 something Uh my dad had just like bought this boat my dad's notorious for like buying things and fixing them up and so he bought this boat fixed it up and we took it to i think it was possum kingdom Uh lake here in Texas, and uh, we get out in the middle of the goddamn lake, and the motor catches on fire, like explodes. <laughs> and where is Tara sitting by the by the motor? My hair goes like, oh my like, god! <laughs> it didn't set my whole head on fire, but like surface hair was all like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so my dad's like, get out, get out. So it was me, my cousin Shannon, who's five years older, and my sister, who is four years younger than I am. So if I was 12, she's, li- I mean, she's little. Little. So we jumped in the water, and my, we have a guest. Oh, hi, Bubba. Hey, Bubba. Preston. <laughs> so we jump in the water, and we're swimming across, we're swimming across the lake, and my 
fat roly-poly ass trying to swim across the lake and my sister can't swim across for whatever reason she can't swim across the lake so she's holding on to shannon's neck and then she's holding on to my neck like we're taking turns mm -hmm. getting and my dad will not leave the boat he's mm -hmm. still out there trying to put the boat out like just my mom's like he's gonna burn up he's gonna... we're all just standing there on the shore watching my dad fight fire in the middle of the lake like just get off i yeah. know when we were That's when we were boat story we're stuck there it's raining we took all our parents ne our dads never met because I they would have been they would have been fast friends fast friends so anyway, back, back to these poor people back to these poor people um so oh uh, where was i so they like i said that they refused their life jackets and um they set out on their adventure on october 20th uh, 1928 and they they uh came across a photographer named emory kolb who um lived in the area he uh, he was a photographer like i said so he was he was always doing landscape and photography in there and they said hey can you take our pictures to mm -hmm. commemorate this because you know nobody had cameras in 1928 and so he he took their picture and um they set off again from there that it was like only two days before they went missing that he took the picture so that was the last time anybody yeah. had seen them alive allegedly you know so um they they had been adventuring for about a month and um there was another tourist in the area i think his name was adolf sutro he sees them on november 18th so he was technically the last person to see them but the photographer was last to document anything um and in december when everybody realized they didn't turn up when they were supposed to a search party was dispatched mm -hmm. and they found their boat and it was near perfect shape with all of their belongings still strapped in it at my, uh, river mile 237. then they found a campsite a few miles down around mile 225 and, but they have no idea what happened in the 12 miles on the river. No idea. They just found their boat untouched. Um, so, um, and that's it. They were gone. Nobody could find them. So 43 years later, in 1971, um, there's a commercial rafting group that stops near where their boat was this found. This is crazy. This is where it gets this crazy. crazy. Mm -hmm. She, uh, or the, their, this commercial group, um, were sitting around a campfire and the leader of the group, the person who put it together, whatever, um, he tells the story of the couple that disappeared, you know, mm -hmm. 40 years earlier. And an older woman by the name of Georgie Clark, who's sitting there around the campfire, says, I'm Bessie Hyde. And everybody's like, what? Prove like, it. What? So she starts telling the story. She claimed that she stabbed her husband, Glenn, after they got into a fight. He, uh, he was getting abusive. And she wanted to leave because she felt that the trip had become too dangerous. He had it coming. Right? <laughs> Anyone? He said that she was, he got abusive, began to beat her. So she grabbed a knife and stabbed him. And she said everything so matter-of-factly that everyone around the campfire believed her. Could you imagine that? You're on vacation and it's like... Yeah, and she's it's like, I've got, like, I've got a confession. I killed my husband. Like, I am a missing person mm -hmm. and also I killed mm -hmm. my husband. Um, like, cool, 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 cool. Right? <laughs> After the trip, uh, one of the men found her phone number mm -hmm. and was like, hey, I want to do an interview with you and, tell, and, and I want to hear your story. And then she denies, I never said anything about that. That's not me. I, I, I'm not really. I just made that story up. Now, there are some accounts that um, said that she was a professor at another, at one, at some prestigious college. I can't remember which one it was, but she was like a psych major or teacher uh, or a sociology something like that and she always did little social experiments like that to see how people would react now okay, i couldn't ma'am that's I, not funny right i couldn't confirm that story it was in it was a little blip in one of the stories that one of the articles i was reading so i don't know how true that is but um after she passed away her best friends went to go clean out her home and they wanted to look for clues because she had told them that she was Bessie Hyde as well, mm -hmm. and would but would never have any proof of it. Don't tell so, people this if you don't actually if you're not actually Bessie Hyde. Don't tell people. Don't that. tell people that. And they will be looking through your shit when you die. Right. Well, they go through they go through all of her stuff, and when they they found some weird stuff, she had a birth certificate that said her real name was Bessie De Ross, and they also found a marriage certificate of Bessie and Glenn Hyde. So. I mean, and, you can get a marriage certificate 
I guess you can get a copy of someone's if you really want it. Can you get someone else's? Or you could fake it. I mean, I mean, I guess you could. I don't know. I mean, um, it was back in olden days. It they did like... find a pistol among her stuff. Um, it, you know, and these pieces of evidence were enough for some people to believe that she had been telling the truth, but. Uh, all the photographs of Georgie when she was younger look drastically different than Bessie Hyde. So they don't even look alike. Yeah. And they and the, the friends were like, they're not the same person. It, it, they don't look alike. So the question is, was Georgie Clark so deep in her lies that she had fake birth and marriage certificates? Or did she, did she take them from their boat, perhaps? Maybe she was just there. You know, she found their stuff and then took off with it. Maybe she killed them. Or did she murder the two of them and take their stuff? Or, you know, whatever. And so um, she thought, it's thought that she may have been disappointed that she has, she accomplished as much as the couple did, but she didn't want Bessie to be the first woman to do it. Uh, so if she was out there trying to complete her own run and she's like who is this lady and who is this with a husband and help well, yeah that's not fair that's not fair so i'm going to take him out that's one thing she didn't she may have just been jealous that she didn't get any recognition but then when the photo pho the photographer emory cole passed away in the 70s later in the 70s uh relatives were cleaning out his house they found a complete skeleton of a human man laying in a canoe in his boathouse so Sir, can you not have a dead person in your boat in your like that's yeah so this is the early days of forensic investigation too because it's in the 70s yeah um so they were able to determine that the skeleton was a white man who was over six foot tall and was killed by a single bullet to the head um they finally they decided or they thought maybe we found glenn hyde um the newspapers even started to report the story they found his body <clears throat> and then they started speculating on what happened. But when scientists actually compared the photographs to the skull and started doing their forensics and rebuilding the skull, it wasn't him. It, it didn't have the same facial well, structure. Well, who did he have in his boat? That's another that well, he and he's dead, so nobody, nobody can ask him anything. That's so weird. Isn't that so weird? So I the hope body... I never find any of this crap in my parents' house. Right? <laughs> no kidding. Mom, Dad, if you have a dead person in your house, can you please get rid of it? Clear before it out, I have Mom. to clear everything out. <laughs> <laughs> so some people still that he still believe that he killed Glenn and that his motive was that he fell in love with Bessie because they had been spent a you know maybe they were in on it together maybe they were in on it together and so he wanted her so bad that he killed Glenn but um people who knew him was like no way he would have never killed anybody i've never met someone who was such like a hot piece that i was like well better kill your spouse especially since they only <laughs> spent maybe a day together a day you know? together and so, uh, and you know, she stinks. They're like out on the boat. It's all stinky and sweaty. Oh and... yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I guess you could douche off in the river or whatever you want, but <laughs> <laughs> I am a firm believer that everyone stunk back so, in 1928. Yeah. And everybody was, dies. yeah. Yeah. And so everybody was, you know, stupefied because they're like, where did he get, where did he get this body? He I had a literal skeleton in his closet you know they're like what is who is they never even discovered who that man was could you imagine he, making that joke and then you open the closet and it's like oh. oh man so the most plausible theory is the one that they fell in one of them may have fell in the other one went to go save them and they were swept away eaten by fish they would have survived if they would if they had life jackets, life jackets. um but even were, the shitty ones that just go around your neck you know like any anything anything so they yeah that's 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 the only thing that they can come up with is that they just got swept away by the current they jumped out of the boat for whatever reason i don't think anyone away. deserves bad things happening to them but if you are not prepared and bad things happen guess what you should have been safety prepared. first did safety we not first. learn that in elementary school girl scout girl right scout <laughs> um this last one's gonna rile me up big time um, especially because like earlier before we were recording, we were talking about the fact that there was just mass shooting that happened yesterday in Buffalo. Yeah. Um, I freaking hate crime because teenagers are the worst and that's mm -hmm. what happened. Um, excuse me. This is in Florida. Sorry, Florida. Keep trying to get away from you, but you guys got some problems. Y'all got to get it together. Like I got faith in you. Come yeah. on guys. Come on. There's good people there. Spread it. Uh, January 12th, 2004, 27-year-old Terrence Williams, he's a black man, 
uh, went missing in Naples, Florida. I said, in my notes I have, I got my fucking eye on you, Florida. <laughs> he was a father of four, and he moved to Florida be, to be near his mom, uh, Marcia. Uh, Marcia? I can't remember if it's Marcia or Marcia. Um, because he was mama's boy, and he wanted to be close to his mom. And mm-hmm. he was working at a pizza hut at the time, like, trying to make money. And he had had his license taken away for DUIs or something. Like, he'd had his license taken away. So no license. He's having a bum rides back and forth. And at some point, he falls in love with this, like, beat-up old Cadillac. And he'd always wanted a Cadillac. So he bought the Cadillac, even mm-hmm. knowing he doesn't have a license. Mm-hmm. He bought it anyways. And um, his roommate spoke to him the night before, so January 11th, before bed. They talked on the phone. And he said he was he's trying to get his roommate to come out. He said he's going to a couple of parties. He had just got this car. And, mm-hmm. and he's like, nah, dude, I'm not, I'm not going out tonight. And so Terrence had to go out by himself. When he didn't re- return home the next day, his roommate emailed his mom? Like, it's 2004. Why don't you send a fucking smoke signal? Right. Beep, 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 beep. Whatever. Um, so, yeah, on January 13th, he got a hold of um, Terrence's mother and let her know. Um, his his family called the authorities, and they tracked his car down because it had, it had been towed from the Naples Memorial Cemetery. So, okay. there's, like, it had been towed. And the report was signed by Deputy Steve Calkins. Okay. Of the Collier County Sheriff's Department. But it turns out um, he never filed a report or an arrest report. Okay. Um, so it was, it was a ban, was it abandoned? I, I'm assuming it's abandoned. So did, do they oh, know we'll, if, oh, we'll get into okay, it. Okay. Okay. Go ahead. Go ahead. Um, the mother, Miss Marsha, is a down bitch because she contacted the cemetery workers and have you guys seen anything? Uh-huh. Um, and they said they saw Terrence getting pulled over by a police officer. Oh. And he says he has no memory of pulling anybody over. Because she's calling the police department. You can hear, like, there's calls out there where she is calling the police department. And the police department, they're so sick of hearing from her. They're calling Deputy Calkins and saying... This lady won't leave us alone. She is a hysterical woman. We don't uh-huh. know what's wrong with her. Of like, course. Of course. And he made some very derogatory comments about black people and cars and how uh-huh. they always drive pieces of shit and blah, blah, blah. Uh-huh. Making some really shitty comments. Recording over the phone. You yeah. can hear it. Um, a few days later, his supervisors talked to him and now he's changed and made him file an instant report. Now he says he has come into contact with Terrence around noon um, he said Terrence asked him for a ride to the Circle K, which his family says he would never do because he was scared of cops. So he would never well, yeah. ask. I don't know any black man in the South who's going to ask to get in a police car. Yeah, no kidding. You know? Yeah, like, exactly. Absolutely not. Um, surveillance at the Circle K does not support his claims. No, there's no video surveillance of him ever being there or of the police officer ever being there. Mm-hmm. Um, so his mom files a complaint against the police officer. Mm-hmm. And that's all she can do because... That's all you can do. Your hands are tied. And he has never been seen again. And it turns out this isn't the first time Deputy Dipshit Steve Calkins did not uh, did not follow protocol and another brown man had gone missing because October 2003, Felipe Santos, an illegal Mexican immigrant, um, was involved in a minor car accident and was last seen driving away with Deputy Steve Calkins. Ah. Uh. And uh-uh. his boss called to bail him out because he saw him get arrested. So he called to bail him out and they had no record of him ever being there. Had no record of an arrest or anything. Like never, the police officer didn't say he ever picked what him up. crook. Oh my gosh. And so, and so he continued to be on the police force or was he let go? He did. I think eventually he retired, I think. But like, yeah, he was there for a while. He retired. So he got yeah. full pension yeah. and he got, what a piece of shit. Yes. And and there was no... So these families, like, uh, Filippo Santos, he was uh, here making money for his family. Like, he was sending yeah. all his money back. He was, right. like, working construction or something. He was, like, sending all of his money back. He was just trying to work. Right. He got into a minor car accident, and, and it had been on record, or a lot of the other police officers felt uncomfortable because of the fact that um, it was pretty well known that Steve Calkins was not okay with immigrants. He didn't like black people. He didn't like anyone of color. No one ever had insurance. Like, yeah. these people all driving pieces of crap. Blah, 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 blah. Well, yeah. You hear that all the time from all you the You do hear that, that all the time. Around. And it's just... It's so scary So they because should d- disappear. Let's just get rid of them. Just disappear them. <laughs> like, 
That's nuts. That's nuts that, that, that there was no full investigation. And Terrence investigation. was young and he had four kids. That's so and sad. And now he's just gone. He's just gone. No. And there's no closure. Nope. Nothing. There's no nothing. And it's so sad when it's the police department who has done this. Because yeah. then who do you go to? What yeah. do you call? What do you do? You know? Because growing up as a white kid, it was always like, find a police officer. Find if trust you ever the trust cops. The cops will help you. Yeah. Look for the uniform. They'll help. No, they won't. They're going to drive your ass in the middle of nowhere and kill you. No and wonder people no of one color. Find you. No wonder people of color are so afraid of the police. Yeah, it's so scary. It's very different. Like, especially now that, like, super hot boyfriend is black and so like we talk about racial stuff a lot and it's like his version of things or my version of things are very different well like, yeah like it's just crazy to think that like i can go and do pretty much anything i want go anywhere i want say anything i want do anything i want wave at police you wave know at police or I give them the finger what are they gonna do yeah. i'm a white woman they ain't gonna do anything to me yeah like <laughs> yeah the exactly opposite for him yeah it's just so crazy like like should he have been driving without a license no but, like, give him a ticket and whatever. Give him a like, ticket. Take, take him the car off the, away. Take him to the station and make him, yeah. you know, go through the process. Go through that the process. Way. Make his mom come get him. Yeah. She's going to yell at him anyway. So, like, yeah. you know. That's that's so horrible. It's insane. It's insane. Boy, they have. They... So, I don't know if that guy's still alive, but a big F you to that guy. Yeah. Special I'm place you, in hell. Yep. Special place in hell for those guys. Mine, I'm going to take back again. To the way back when, because the way back machine. Well, and it's like you said earlier, because when people go missing now, they don't always stay missing because we have forensics and we have our cameras everywhere. So mm -hmm. these, these, these really poked out to me is because they don't have a way to forensically track down the people that are missing. And this is a whole family of kids that went missing. Um, I've also seen these guys in a few documentaries here, and they're um, I didn't even write down all of their names because there were so many kids that were lost. There's like 90 kids in that family. There, yeah, they had 10 kids, and I think that uh, five of them probably took them like a week to realize there were some missing. Right. Like, oh, and that one's gone too. Bad joke. That's, that's a bad that's, joke. Children don't need to be missing. I'm so no, sorry. No, no, no. But the, this was the Sauter children, mm -hmm. uh, the children of George and Jenny Sauter. They've been missing since Christmas Eve, 1945. Christmas Eve. Um, George and Jenny were Italian immigrants that had 10 children, like I just mentioned. On December 24th, 1945, the Sauter family, after taking care of their livestock, they had a farm. They came in, opened a few gifts that they had just bought at the dollar store. You know, the local, not not even dollar store, the five and dime, you know, yeah. that I think one of the kids worked at the five and dime. And so they were excited because they all had gifts that year and some years they didn't. Right. I mean, we got so, 10 kids and got 10 kids. up in the depression. And exactly. Stuff. So around 1230 that night after they went to bed, they get this weird phone call. Uh, and it ended up being a wrong number, but it was from a woman who was giggling and laughing Asked for somebody who wasn't there. They could hear glasses clinking in the background. So they just figured Someone's it was there. a wrong Someone's number. A Christmas party. At, at, from a Christmas party. The woman was probably a little drunk and misdialed. Whatever. Um, and then they go back to bed. Half an hour later, they wake up again and smelled smoke. And then there was smoke coming into the bedrooms. And they discovered their house was on fire. And, and it looked like that the fire started in the office near uh the telephone and the inside electrical breaker box and so it was the 20s like things were probably wired like well, this is in 45 oh 45 yeah things were probably not wired the best way well and, and here's the thing electricity's fairly new at this point right right well especially electricity inside the homes mm -hmm. i you know they it, it was becoming more popular by then anyway um so they tried to get everybody out of the house and george and jenny had made it out with four of the kids one of their kids, I think it was their second oldest, he was off in the military fighting in World War Two. Yeah, at this I time. remember he was not there. Yeah. And so he's not there. Uh, but they get four out and they're like, five of them are still stuck upstairs. So George goes to rescue them. Dad's going to come to the rescue. He goes to get his ladder. His ladder is missing. So he says the next best thing he does, he's he has a couple of coal trucks. He goes to go get the coal truck to pull it up to the to the the house yeah. and then climb into the second top. floor floor that way um neither one of his trucks would start they had been messed with they don't know who messed with it so he uh just starts climbing he didn't have his shoes on he didn't have anything up he just starts climbing That's, up the when side your kids of the house. are up there you just climb the and house he, like he, a damn monkey if you right he, like a spider monkey and so he gets up there he breaks a window slices himself up trying to get into the window in a hurry gets up there can't find them um 
and the smoke is getting to him yeah. and so he's like i'm i'm no good dead so he crawls back out and goes down and they can't find him and they're just horrified they don't know where their kids are they don't know where they are in the house they don't know where they're suffering are they in the closet hiding did they make it downstairs they don't know so none of the five children that were up there were ever found again jenny in the meantime while he's trying to get into the house calls the fire department and nobody picks up so she runs to a neighbor's house which they're on a farm so it takes like 20 so it miles takes, yeah like running three so miles down the road so she goes to the neighbor's house they call the fire department it still can't get a response so well actually i think it was whenever like i said their phone had been knocked out because of the fire she had to run to the neighbor's house to call the fire department got no got no response so another neighbor takes off and like why was 911 just not always a thing not always like, a thing right we're always gonna need emergency assistance because obviously if we're calling the police it's an emergency it's an emergency so another neighbor goes and finds the fire chief the fire chief they have like this call chain where you call the next firefighter and, and they and then they go yeah, yeah, yeah. they call the next one and, and so it the, the fire, longest possible way of getting help they ever. yeah they called the fire department at 2 a.m the fire had been blazing for about 45 minutes to an hour they call them finally get a hold of them and it takes until 8 a.m to get there and by then the house your whole house is gone thanks a lot fire department right so uh the and the house actually went down in about 45 minutes it didn't yeah. take an it didn't take an that's hour. why you need 911 so you can get there in two minutes so maybe you mm -hmm. can save your house so once they got it cooled off and they were able to examine everything they found zero remains in the house and which is weird that you would think okay maybe they burned up to ash but the thing about cremating a body is it has to burn well, it and two, so it's got to burn for 2000 at 2000 degrees for, for um, two hours i think well the house was only on fire for 45 minutes and it did not a house fire is not you 2, would find degrees. something yeah no so they you said find you would something. find charred bones you would find anything but it's you're not going to find just ashes and so they didn't find anything the investigators conclude that the wire the wiring was faulty um but here's where the weird stuff comes in like you just it sounds like the wiring caused a fire five kids died in the house it's a tragedy but the investigators come in um and they and they start re remembering things that weird that had happened over the last couple months and a few months before a drifter came to the house looking for work and he mentioned that the fuse box was suspect and would cause a fire. So they had the power company come out and look at it and said, no, this is fine. Everything's fine. The so drifter said that the, the drifter said that the, the box the was... Why the fuck you poking around my fuse box? Right, go home. right. Well, I, apparently there was an outside one and an inside one. And so he looked at the one on the outside. I'm telling the drifter to go home. Hey, drift, drift home. Drifter, go home. Go drift. Drift somewhere else. And so the company, the power company come out, looked at it, said it was fine. About the same time, an insurance salesman came by and told the Sodders that they're a target in the community because they were Italian-American Italian and, or yeah, Italian immigrants, and he, they were very outspoken against Mussolini. Can I just say that, like, we're all immigrants here? Mm -hmm. Like, unless you are Native American and indigenous people who grew up and were raised and were... Yeah bread and everything here like we are all none of us are from here right right stop well, acting like you own the place right well and and it wasn't even the people that were it was the other italian immigrants that had something against them because they didn't like mussolini they would always speak out against mussolini and then um, so he was not great he wasn't great and so the the insurance guy says you know you, you may find yourself attacked and and because you, of your you beliefs better, you better get some insurance. so you better get some insurance and they were like we can't afford it so yeah. go on your way and um i feel like putting a sign outside my door can you weird people stop stopping by my house right right <laughs> and so the salesman he becomes irate and warns them that their house is going to go up in smoke and your family's going to die so and then oh, he goes off on his way look. not a good look salesman and then jenny remembered that whenever she was dozing off after the phone rang that night she was dozing off and she heard something hit the roof and roll off but she didn't stir enough because it could have been a squirrel rolling down it could have been she just didn't think about it just a weird well, no noise. you don't think oh my god someone's cutting my phone lines and messing right. with my truck i'm gonna burn my house down right and so she and it she's like it could have been you know a squirrel that jumped up there and ran its way down just sounded like it was rolling because it's quiet in the house yeah. and so she goes off to sleep um and then about half an hour after she falls asleep the smoke 
the smoke starts filling a room. They also discovered that after the fire, the phone lines had been cut and not burned. Yep. So somebody, somebody Someone did this. Someone did that on purpose. Um, they, but in the end, it was ruled a faulty electrical box. Um, but they were trying to explain, no, whenever the fire started, the lights were on. So if it had started a fire, it would have tripped the breaker and there would have been no lights. But our electricity was on when the fire started. So there was, there's no, when we left the house, the, the lights were on. And I think that someone who's going to do this might know how to make it look like. Right, right, faulty, right. Something, something. Unless you're maybe one of the million firemen who are on this phone call chain. Uh-huh. And maybe you're the one who's starting the fire. Well, they also found a hard rubber object in the yard when they were investigating that was possibly used like in wartime mm -hmm. for napalm bombs. That's, that's and that's what she thinks there but it didn't it didn't explode on the roof so but it could have go they may have had something else or maybe even had another bomb but that's what they think hit the roof and rolled and it didn't explode like a you know molotov cocktail yeah. sort of like that um whenever uh they uh uh let's see where am i at here the oh yeah so the kids are missing um then the reports started coming up of sightings of these kids. Like one woman claimed that she had seen the missing children. Because you're going to notice five kids. Yeah. they. One woman claimed she'd seen the missing children like in a car peering out the window during the fire, going away from the fire. One woman said that she saw that. Uh, another woman that operated a tourist stop about 50 miles west of Fayetteville said that she saw the children the morning after the fire and said, I served them breakfast. Uh, quote, there was a car with Florida license plates at the tourist court, too. Mm -hmm. So one woman said that she saw the five kids. Uh, and then there was a woman at a Charleston hotel that says they, she saw the children's photo in the newspaper. And she had seen four of the five a week after the fire. Where, and they were accompanied by two women, two men, all of Italian descent. So... Those were the, uh, she, she actually had a statement that said, I don't remember the exact date they stayed. However, the entire party did register at the hotel. They stayed in a large room with several beds. They registered about midnight. I tried to talk to the children in a friendly manner, but the men appeared hostile, refused to allow me to talk to this children. One of the men looked at me in a hostile manner. He turned around and began talking rapidly in Italian. Immediately, the whole party stopped talking to me. I sensed that I was being frozen out. So I said nothing more. They left early the next morning. So the Sodders, at this point, hire a private investigator named C.C. Tinsley to look into the case. Which and you he, know they probably had to scrimp and save because they don't have a they house. They don't have a house. They, have, they didn't have money for insurance. They so have no money. Not rich people. Mm -hmm. So he informed the family that the insurance salesman who had threatened George over his anti-Mussolini uh, sentiments, mm -hmm. he had been on the coroner's jury that ruled the fire an accident. That seems like a conflict of interest. That's very suspect, me. isn't it? Uh, the Smithsonian held two hearings in at the Capitol in Charleston. And the Governor Patterson at the time and the state police told the Sodders that their search was hopeless and declared the case closed. It's just a cold case. We'll never know if they burned up or not. So George and Jenny erected a billboard along Route 16 and passed out flyers. Then they offered a $5,000 reward for information leading to their children. And then they increased the amount to $10,000. So you have everybody showing up with tips again. Bad tips. So a, a letter arrives from a woman in St. Louis saying that the oldest girl, I think her name was Martha, was in a convent there. And another tip come from Texas, where a patron in a bar overheard a conversation about a long-ago Christmas Eve fire in West Virginia. So, and what, oh, um, someone in Florida claimed the children were staying with an, a, a distant relative. Uh, but, and George, George investigated every lead he could. Well, and these kids, like, if they're being somewhere, they would probably try and find some kind of way to be like, hey, I am one mm -hmm. of those other children, please help me. Like, right. You know, like, well, in 68, which is 20 years after the fire, more than 20 years, Jenny gets an, uh, gets something in the mail and found an envelope addressed only to her. 
And when she opens it, it was it was postmarked from Kentucky and had no return address. And inside was a photo of a man in his mid-20s. And on the back, there was a handwritten note that read, Louis Sauter, I love brother Frankie, little boys. And that's all that it says. And so her and George are looking at it and are like, this man looks a lot like, like Louie, who yeah. was nine at the time of the fire. And beyond, but there were, they both had dark curly hair, dark brown eyes, had the same straight nose, the same upward tilt of the eyebrow, you know, everything kind of. Yeah. So they hire a private detective, send him to Kentucky, and then the private detective disappears. They can't find anything. on. He just leaves. And that, that was really the last clue that they got. They never gave up looking until their dying day. And the remaining children continued to look for him even after their parents were gone. I cannot imagine, like, like what's worse, like, your children die in a fire or your children disappeared and God knows what happened to them. Mm -hmm. And hopefully they're alive. Probably not. Mm -hmm. but And so, you know. And, and you just never know. And so some of the stuff that I didn't write down that I thought was interesting, though, was, like, Jenny would um, burn, like, animal carcasses and stuff like that to try to see if she could recreate the fire. Yeah. And she said the most I could ever come up with was some charred, remains maybe bones yeah but there was always something left over and i also heard one or i read one of the investigators to try to give them closure had planted a heart on the property and then when they found it they sent it to the coroner and the coroner was like this is the beef liver it's not a heart. it's not a human heart so uh and then another time supposedly they had found some vertebrae on the property that seemed like it was charred but it didn't match the ages of any of the kids it seemed to belong to an older person. So they just never came up with any hard ever evidence. They found, you know, a few vertebrae and then didn't find anything else. Like just, just that this. reminds me of, I just looked it up. Um, Lori Bible and Ashley Freeman. Do you know that case of like the two girls that like they were having a slumber party for one of the girls house at like the trailer house uh -huh. and it burned down. There was a fire. It seems familiar. And they found the parents, one of the girl's parents were dead inside and they could not find the girls anywhere. And then they turned and looked again and they did. They, oh, wait, they couldn't find. They couldn't find any remains. And so they thought that, like, oh, my gosh, the parents ran off with, like. Right. With the kids and where are they? And then it turns out one of the, like, the other parents were, like, visiting the the scene or whatever. I don't know how they freaking got there. Like, yeah. no one's marking this off. But the parents looking around for evidence found the remains of the parents. They thought that there was, like, professionals were looking and could not find remains, but then they're like, there it is. Like, there it is. And then it was, like, burned remains of, of yeah. the adults, and the kids are still missing. Like, they don't know what happened yeah. to them. But, like, so I don't know if, like, were they really looking? Like, maybe there was, like, because if you're not really looking for... Yeah. If it's, like, 1940s, like, how smart are you really, like, when you're right. looking at, for evidence? And, right. like... I don't know. I think maybe the kids were taken, though, because... Like might have the been. ladder was the ladder was missing. God, the kidnapping trunks. five kids though—that sounds miserable. I don't know, unless it was somebody trying to teach them a lesson because they didn't. They lived in an Italian immigrant community. And I wonder if those five kids were like singled out specifically, or if it's just like snag as many as you can get. Or yeah, because apparently the ones that survived were ones that had fallen asleep downstairs. Like one of them was asleep on the couch, another one was so like maybe they all would have been taken they, if they were. They could have. But, but how do you that from up? stairs though is like yeah we just throw them out the window like right with the ladder and then you take the ladder take them out one at a time down a ladder and that i and i, a lot. I like, think that like there some of them were like were in little their, some were little and some were like close to teenagers if not teenagers i should have written all that down but it was there were just so many kids that's <laughs> and like could they maybe have gotten out and then run off and something bad happened to them right i don't know we'll never know God, I hate this. I know. Why do we do this? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know because I still Oh, I did read too while you were talking. Very rude. But um, Deputy Steve Hawkins was fired from the police department. So. Oh, oh, good. Well, he, he was, was fired. fired. He was fired. So. Oh, well. For apparently not um, filling out reports and not admitting to killing people when you have killed somebody. Well, I guess it could have been worse. Yes. I... <laughs> Missing people, you guys. Don't go missing. Missing people, don't. Stay with your friends. If you've seen any of these people or you know anything, 
Yeah, I'm sure there's, I don't have the crime hotline, but. Give a shout out to someone. Give someone. a shout out. You know what? You can, you can email us and then we'll pass on the information. <laughs> Courtney will email me and then I, will, I email. will email the next podcaster and we'll just keep going We'll just there. keep talking. We'll just, we'll solve like, it all through like old days. Just like the old days. <laughs> oh, the old days where oh, you can disappear. The old days. You guys. Well, missing people. Kind of a bummer. Kind of a bummer. It's kind really hard to brand ourselves as a comedy podcast whenever <laughs> we do the best we can. We do the best. We do the best we can, you guys. <laughs> um, yeah, please so. like, subscribe. Uh, yeah, tell your friends and share. Tell your friends, share us, even if you hate us. Even if you hate us, you know, send us to someone as um a punishment. Yeah, <laughs> get a load of these guys. Well, these idiots. Well, these idiots. So anyway, but it's good. Good to see you guys. Thanks for good listening. Thanks for watching. We'll see you next time. We'll see you next time. Be Bye. safe. Let me call you sweetheart.